It's Christmas! Well, tonight, thank God it's there instead of you. Oh, Christmas Day, my ass. I'm driving home for Christmas. Oh, I can't wait to see those faces. Christmas to you and all. It's actually June, which means it's actually half Christmas. Well, I see this month as being half Christmas, with Leon Day on June 25th being exactly six months to the big day. I know there's a big thing about Christmas in July, which I've never actually really understood, considering June 25th is the actual halfway point. Anyway, any excuse to verbally assault my colleagues, friends and family about Christmas, so Half Christmas is here. For Half Christmas, I decided to go hard with a true British Christmas classic from an actual classic TV favourite, The Snowman. That's right, it's walking in the airtime. I also watch and discuss an unusual Christmas special from superhero teen comedy action sci-fi drama Misfits. I also continue sharing some wonderful and bittersweet extracts from Christmas at War by Caroline Taggart. Let's get going. Superheroing is now a pretty common TV and film genre, but there was a time when it was still somewhat novel and exciting. Back in 2009, the MCU was barely getting going, and superheroes were often still seen as a kid's thing, especially on television. However, Misfits was an early advocate for grown-up or at least teenage superhero action and drama. The first series premiered in November 2009 on Channel 4 and continued for five seasons, with the show being acclaimed enough to win the 2010 BAFTA for Best Drama Series, as well as Best Supporting Actress for Lauren Socher as one of the misfits. If you've never seen or potentially heard of this show, the premise is a bunch of delinquent teenagers sentenced to community service for various minor criminal misdemeanours are exposed to an unusual electrical storm together, causing them to develop strange supernatural superpowers. The same thing happens to others in the local area, leading to various comedic, dramatic, romantic and criminal encounters as they come to grips with their new and unusual circumstances. The five original misfits were Curtis, played by Nathan Stewart Jarrett, able to travel through time, Simon, played by Ewan Rian, now famous thanks to Game of Thrones, able to become invisible, Kelly, played by Lauren Socha, able to read minds, Alicia, played by Antonia Thomas, able to touch people and invoke a, let's call it, uncontrollable lust. And Nathan, played by Robert Sheehan, the Joker of the group, who at first doesn't seem to have a power but discovers at the end of series one, spoilers inbound, that he's immortal after waking up after falling off a building and dying. Some cast changes became common over the five series, with new characters taking over as actors left, and superpowers even changing due to various plot devices. However, we stick with the original cast today, as we're looking at the Christmas special, coming at the end of Season 2, airing December 19th, 2010. 
The Christmas episode begins three weeks after the second series finale, with some appropriately alternative festive music, with Christmas is Going to the Dogs by the Eels. Nathan's even dressed as Santa to give out some flyers, but it's creeping out some parents. Curtis is dating a teleporter called Nikki, played by the wonderful Ruth Neger, who's also in Preacher. Kelly is picking litter for community service, and Simon is now dating Alicia and training to be his future super self, a character called Super Hoodie who appeared in the second series. He's throwing himself around on rooftops and getting injured. You're gonna break your neck. I'm not pushing you around in a wheelchair. I have to learn something. Show me. Alicia sees a graffiti advert about buying powers, and because of her distressing ability, goes to see a strange man called Seth. How much do you want for it? I don't want anything. I just want it gone. Can you do that? That's why I'm here. You won't use it on anyone, will you? I can't use the powers while I'm holding them. What will you do with it then? That's not your problem. Meanwhile, a vicar called Elliot, facing a lack of connection with the community, visits Seth as well to purchase a power of walking on water just in time for Christmas. How are you doing that? And Jesus Christ, and I have been reborn. He gathers followers. I am here to help you change your life today, right now, this moment. I know what it's like living on this estate. I know what it's like to feel disappointment, to feel pain, to feel What's all angry. This? Our Lord Jesus Christ has risen and that's again. why today, and today only, right. I'm looking for your help. Good for him. To put your hand in your he's come back in time for Christmas. Yeah. And then buys more powers, such as telekinesis, to prove himself, and therefore gain more money from his followers. Give us the money. Right now. Do it. I know what it's like. Did no one ever tell you that stealing is a sin? Who are you? I'm Jesus Christ. Yeah? Well, I need to score. Score get robbed. I don't think so. sell their powers for £20,000 each, except Nathan, who only got 2000 for his. But Simon is not happy, and makes a DC reference to explain. You sold your powers? Yeah, mate. You shouldn't be doing this. We were giving them for a reason. And what reason is that? I'll give you 20,000 reasons for getting rid of them. It's like in Superman 2, when Superman gives up his powers so that he could be with Lois Lane. And? General Zod took over the world. That's totally relevant, except there ain't no General Zod, and that's 20,000 pounds. But Simon eventually does sell, urged on by Alicia. But the vicar continues to use the given money to buy more powers, including Alicia's power of seduction to get with the girls in the congregation. 
A disciple of the vicar robs the bar where the gang work and then accidentally shoots and kills Nicky when Nathan stands up to him, forgetting he's not immortal, then jumps out of the way of the gunshot. Shoot me! I'm immortal! No, you're not! Oh, yes! Nicky! The guys realise they have to get their powers back to protect themselves and the people they care about, but Seth tells them some hard truths. I'm sorry about your girlfriend. Well, I can't help you. Well, what about the rest of our power? Yeah, because we're going to need those back too. They're still available. Out of price. How much? Shall we say... 40,000 each. You only paid us 20 grand! What? You got 20,000 pounds for your power? Yeah. How much did you get? We don't need to get into that now. Hey, you robbed me, you You all agreed a price you were happy to sell at. Yeah, well, I didn't think it through, so legally it's still mine. Meanwhile, Alicia has an encounter with this Jesus figure and tells Simon. There's a guy who's calling himself Jesus. He's got my power used on me. Did he? I got away, but the boy who robbed the bar, he was there, and I think the Jesus guy put him up to it. Where are you going? I'm gonna kill Jesus. Not quite the normal festive statement, but this is Misfits. They try to steal his money to buy back their powers, but he arrives and uses his telekinesis to pull the locker full of cash right back towards him. This way! Pivot! Should you be carrying something heavy like this? I think that belongs to me. Well, come get it! Right this way! Right this way! The mountain won't come to the hand of the car. Now he's standing on the muslin! Only to see it completely hit him in the head and kill him. Jesus! Well, just in case it really is Jesus. Our Lord has sacrificed himself again. It's not Jesus, it's just a with a few superpowers. Do you really expect me to believe that? Meanwhile, in appropriate Christmas tradition, Nathan's new pregnant girlfriend water breaks. Does anyone know anything about delivering babies? Because I think this is happening right now! Hot towels. Right! We haven't got any. Oh, you're a big else! She gives birth in the community centre, and Nathan sings an appropriate song to the newborn with his friends around them. Don't give up. Now, little donkey, Bethlehem's inside. Ring out the bells tonight, Bethlehem, Bethlehem. Follow the star tonight, Bethlehem, Bethlehem. He puts the baby in the nativity manger, and then Marnie, his girlfriend, declares something. I think I'm having another one. I think I'm having twins. Oh, Jesus, Mary and Joseph! You're giving birth to an alien.
Anyway, so, uh, happy Christmas, one and all. And finally, the gang use the money from Jesus to go and buy back their powers, but then decide to get different ones from their earlier abilities, which is left as a cliffhanger ready for the third series. The show is always really fun and silly and uses sci-fi in interesting ways, taking the ideas of superpowers into strange, dark places. The Christmas special is no different, but knowledge of the characters and humour makes it much better. There was a lot of swearing and crudeness I had to work around with my episode this month, so if you want to get Misfits a go, be prepared for that, especially from Robert Sheehan's Nathan. The show used Christmas as a backdrop, rather than any crucial story, despite the Jesus figure and the pregnant lady giving birth suddenly. There's some great Christmas music in it though, including alternative stuff, such as the Ramones and Julian Casablancas. It's made me want to go back and re-watch more of the show, although Nathan leaves after this episode, being replaced by the equally brilliant Joseph Gilgan as Rudy. If you like superheroics, sci-fi and crude teen humour, give the show a go. The Christmas Alphabet Podcast is all about Christmas in alphabetical order. I'm Wayne, your host, and I bring you a new episode every two weeks throughout the year. Each time we look at Christmas history, food, music and fun facts, starting with just one letter of the alphabet. Join me as we follow the alphabet all through the year, all about Christmas. Subscribe and join us at the Christmas Alphabet Podcast. This year I'm sharing accounts from Christmas at War by Caroline Taggart. She gathered interviews and accounts of various people from across the UK on all aspects of life at Christmas during wartime. So far I've shared stories about evacuees and those stuck behind in cities during the Blitz during the holiday season. This month I'm going to share some accounts of the shortages faced by people during the war. Supply chains being attacked or blocked, along with factories being repurposed and workers either going to war or being taken to work in factories or elsewhere, meant the usual festive gifts and food became much harder to come by. Despite this, those in the countryside seemed better prepared with food grown or raised locally, with no need to transport into cities, so some people did okay. But let's hear from Nancy, a 21-year-old teacher who came from a village but lived in London during the war. Before the worst of the bombing started, I was allowed to travel home for Christmas. The blackout was awful. It dulled your spirits because if you showed just a chink of light, there would be the air raid precautions warden hollering at you, and it made travelling difficult. Everything took longer than it was supposed to, and everything was very crowded with soldiers. I remember being on one train with a battalion. They were lying on the floor because there weren't enough seats, and there was smoke everywhere because everyone smoked in those days, certainly the men. You even had to climb over a few soldiers to find somewhere to stand. It was so grim. At home, it was me, mum and dad. But on Christmas, we went to my aunt's house and celebrated with her family. She always had a house full of strays, various relatives who would otherwise have been on their own. For decorations, we put greenery around the pictures and carried on much as we had done before the war. Food was no great problem in the country. We had chickens and pigs and vegetables. People talk about foraging at various times of year for blackberries or rose hips or mushrooms, but we used to do that anyway, before the war started. My aunt always produced a good Christmas dinner, and we might have a glass of sherry or port. My dad and uncle would have a beer. My uncle used to have a two-pint bottle he'd kept on the floor by his chair. My aunt also managed to make fantastic puddings out of old dried egg. She used to make dinners out of nothing. Bless her heart. Meanwhile, Oldwyn came from a coal mining valley in South Wales and turned 17 just before the start of the war and things seemed normal at first for his family. There was a great deal of wealth there in the 30s and the mine owners and officials led lives of luxury. 
but for the majority of the workers in the mining business, living standards could be described as barely above poverty. My father worked for the local council, so we were somewhere in between. Budgets were tight, but we had a happy childhood. Our Christmas meal was like no other we'd experienced during the year. Preparations were made beforehand, ingredients mixed for puddings, something a little special, but nothing like the richness of today's products. The mixture was packed into a number of china basins and covered in cloths, and boiled in a cast iron pan on a small gas cooker, a new acquisition only a few years before the war. As for the main attraction, the bird, my family preferred a goose. My father would have acquired it from one of the local hill farms, and it was not, like today, ready prepared. Preparation was no minor undertaking. My brother had to remove all the feathers, a considerable achievement for one suffering from asthma. Some parts of the bird were discarded, but very little. The inside was cleaned after removing organs, then it was stuffed with an inexpensive stuffing like thyme and breadcrumbs. After Christmas, the remains, including the carcass, together with fresh vegetables, available in wartime from local farms and allotments, were used to produce nutritious stews for several meals. The fat was preserved, we referred to it as goose grease, and became a cure for chest and throat infections during winter. One thing worth mentioning about the catering is that there were no alcoholic beverages at all. At supper, the Christmas cake was produced, a fruit cake covered in marzipan and icing. Then there was usually some singing of Welsh traditional melodies and carols around the piano. Christmas didn't end on Christmas Day. The annual panto in Cardiff had its first performance on Boxing Day. Before the war ended, my mother would take the younger family members to one of the performances, a rare visit to the capital, which in itself was an exciting event. After the performance, more excitement would supper at the Cozy Caf in one of Cardiff's interesting arcades. The food was simple, but nevertheless something to be savoured the only time throughout the year when we would be taken out for a meal. There are some recollections of my childhood Christmases, and certainly that would have applied to the Christmases of 1939 and 1940. Rationing began to bite, but people managed well in the country with the help of allotments, local farms, locally kept chickens. An occasional food parcel from my aunt in America provided us with luxury in the form of tinned fruit and exotic cake mixes. Jill's family lived in Surrey, and her father was called away. There was an enormous arms factory at a place in Staffordshire, and they needed someone to run it, so my father was sent there. Before the war we had a maid, but my mother had always done the cooking and now she had to do everything, because the girls who'd previously been in service had jobs at the factory. We had a big Christmas tree in the hall, and we decorated it with things my mother's had put aside over the years. Some I still have today. Little birds with real feathers, all sorts of exciting things. We were supposed to help decorate it, but all I remember is accidentally knocking things off and getting in trouble. We always had an enormous turkey which we got from a local farmer. Father was a person with friends. He was a lovely man and did a lot for other people, so there were some, shall we say, reciprocations. He also had connections with farms in Wiltshire and Devon, so we got marvellous things that nobody else did. Partridge, pheasant. I'm sure my mother made Christmas pudding. She always managed to get things. The black market was there for people who could afford it. You were considered lucky if you could get in on it. I remember, and I can't have been more than 9 or 10, hearing a programme on the radio talk about the black market and saying, oh, that's terrible that people would do that. And my mother said, just be careful how judgmental you are. My parents took a more practical view than I did. But I do remember a disaster over a Christmas cake when someone in the kitchen, it can't have been my mother, but perhaps my sister, put salt instead of sugar into the mixture. Although we'd managed to get the ingredients once, we couldn't get them twice. So it was ruined and we didn't have cake that year. And finally, and in contrast, another Nancy, this time from Wales, remembering her isolated homestead. Our homes didn't have mains water or electricity until the 1960s. 
We had chickens and at least one cow, so we had some eggs, milk, butter, vegetables. Bread was made at home in big batches. Our mother would save dried fruit and flour rations to make mince pies. No wine or any other sort of alcohol would be in the house. We looked forward to Christmas, but animals and land still had to be tended and chores completed. I was one of ten children. We had a Christmas tree cut from the local forest which we decorated with cotton wool and homemade paper ornaments. We didn't have stockings, but a little bag each with our name on, and an apple, some nuts, and maybe chocolate inside. The chocolate ration was something else that was saved for Christmas. I remember fries, chocolate cream and peppermint creams, but we had some ordinary stuff too, and we children would swap so that we ended up with whatever we liked best. We had very few Christmas cards and very few presents, though I remember one time when two of my brothers were given wooden horses and made a racket playing with them on the wooden floor upstairs. We had to be patient on Christmas morning. My father used to read the Bible to us and pray every morning. And every evening, Christmas included, we weren't allowed to look at our presents until the ceremony and breakfast were both over. Last year on the podcast, I spoke about Raymond Briggs, the author and illustrator behind classic Christmas children's stories and animated specials, The Snowman and Father Christmas. The Snowman is a British festive phenomenon about a small boy making a snowman who comes to life to take him on a magical adventure. But I'm not here to talk about the special. If you listen regularly, and hopefully you do, if not, why not? Come on, subscribe, listen to it, all the time. You know that this is the music section. So let's talk about the hit song from the special, Walking in the Air. The song was written for the special by composer Howard Blake, who started his career as a pianist in pubs and clubs before being discovered by EMI Records. He went on to work with Laurie Johnson on the hit spy show The Avengers, no relation to Marvel Comics. He took over composing duties for the final series. He went on to write music for films such as The Duelists, Flash Gordon and A Month in the Country. He has since received an OBE for services to music and is a fellow of the Royal Academy of Music. But back in 1982, when Blake wrote the famous Walking in the Air, in interviews he revealed he wrote it after being inspired walking on a beach in Cornwall and wrote the song on the back of an envelope. The track was recorded for the film when the snowman takes to the skies with a boy in hand to soar, with vocals originally recorded by St Paul's choir boy Peter Outry. However, a few years later in 1985, the song was being re-recorded for a Toys R Us campaign and a single release, but Peter's voice had broken. He recommended a 15-year-old Welsh chorister called Alid Jones, and his version became the commonly played version still heard on the radio and TV here in the UK. Yeah, we're floating in the moonlit sky. The people far below. 
turning him into kind of a festive icon, who always pops up on TV in December. Jones's version reached number 5 in the UK charts, and was voted number 13 in the nation's favourite Christmas songs on ITV in 2012. With the song performed in a choral soundtrack style, many artists have been able to adapt and alter it to some interesting covers, which I'll share with you. First up is a slightly melancholy take on the track from Tom Chaplin, formerly lead singer of Keen, who opened his 2017 album, 12 Tales of Christmas, with Walking in the Air. We're walking in the air We're floating in the moonlit sky The people far below are sleeping as we fly I'm holding very tight London artist and musician Jerk Curb took some interesting left turns with his version, using reverb and echo to great effect to create a strange electronic shuffle with his one. Alternative pop music songwriter Jack Robert Hardman strips it back even further to simple guitar and vocals. Surprise, nobody down below believes their eyes with surfing in the air, with swimming in the frozen sky We're drifting over icy mountains floating by British pianist Tokyo Myers created a darkly sombre version with his instrumental Finally, my favourite version, and one of my all-time favourite festive covers, comes from indie rock band The Maccabees, who found some level of success across their four albums between 2007 and 2015, being nominated for Enemy Awards, Ivan Novello Songwriting Awards and the Mercury Music Prize. 
but they also found time to unleash this cover with slinky guitars crafting a rather compulsive tension. lovely half Christmas in whatever you do, whether it's having a full-blown festive dinner or just listening to this podcast in some summer heat. Either way, take that little bit of Christmas and hold on to it during these summer months. We're halfway there, people. Get in touch via my Instagram, Twitter and Facebook, all Merry Britmas, to tell me what you think of misfits or walking in the air. Next month is Christmas in July. Any excuse for more festive rambles. Happy blooming Christmas to you and all.